You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome, everyone, to the Pio Pier. Pierce Podcast. I am your host, Pierce. I'm joined here today with Jimmy and also a very special guest from NBC Sports Chicago, Charlie Romeliotis. What's going on, Charlie? What's going on, guys? Does this mean I am now a friend of the podcast with the second? Yeah. <laughs> yes, second, uh, we, already considered you friend, yeah, we already considered you a friend the first time. Now you are best friend of the podcast. I love it. Well, thank you. I appreciate you guys having me. What's going on? Uh, nothing. Oh, yeah. Jimmy, how are you? I completely ignored you. I'm sorry, Jimmy. Oh no, you're fine, man. I think I'm, uh, you know, doing pretty well. I'm actually, uh, I've got a great setup right now. I'm actually uh, sitting outside in my, uh, my uh, girlfriend's car with a gaming headset on. So I'm, uh, oh, I'm yeah. soaking in the sun and uh, loving life right now, man. I'm doing are you great. in your, are you in your garage again, or are you uh, actually outside? Oh no, I'm outside the garage. I upgraded. Oh nice. Yeah, right. yeah. No, so I'm, uh, yeah, I'm really getting the sun rays right now. I'm living it up, man. Yeah, so if someone comes up to you and asks you, what are you doing? I'm like, mind your own business. I'm recording a podcast with the NBC Chicago Blackhawks Insider. That's what I'm doing. Exactly, man. Hello. And, right. and, and getting vitamin D. Exactly. Exactly, yeah. Double positivity. Anyways, Charlie, I want to know what you've been doing during this time. Obviously, it's been a rough time for all of us, but what have you been doing to uh, keep sane? Like, have you been watching any certain shows, movies, podcasts, music, or books? I know the big thing out there is Tiger King. My parents actually watched it, and I, I don't know if I want to watch it because it's just a, it's a documentary about awful people, but at the same time, it's entertaining. I don't know if I want to invest my time in it, but anyways, what have you been doing? Yeah, that's funny you say that because I felt like I was the only one in the world that hadn't watched Tiger King yet. And I, I, I honestly oh, wow. don't have I don't have any desire to chime in or to, to tune in. I know my brother just watched it after um, going a couple of weeks with seeing how people were reacting to it. And I was like, I don't I don't know if I want any a part of that. So I've been staying away. Uh, but <laughs> honestly, like this time, especially during the hockey season, you get so caught up with the the routine and just the um you know you don't have time to do things I, like I, I i barely have time to go to the grocery store and you know do all those sorts of things during the season so uh this time I, i'm kind of just reaching out to to old friends and um people that i haven't really spoken to uh throughout the season as much as i would like to so that's where i'm kind of been spending my, my time and energy yeah it's kind of been the same with me you know like this whole thing has kind of put put it into perspective, like how much you take things for granted. Thankfully, I still have a job, but I know there's people that have been laid off. And just even though sometimes you hate, go, dread going to your job or even going to school, and it just shows you how much you take for granted. And also like going out with friends as well. I've been trying to make uh, like contact with old friends and 
it's worked, which is good. But like after this whole thing hopefully ends as soon as it possibly can, I want to be reconnect with old friends and not take as many of the things in life as I did for granted before. And I think that's what uh, this has made me realize. And I hopefully at least it makes it, people realize for mo- the, all the stuff they have, even if they dread it again, like a job or uh, or going to school. So, yeah, Jimmy, what have you been doing during doing during this time to keep saying? Oh man, uh, I, I mean, I'm, you know, I've become a pretty big film guy. Uh, so for me, I've just been like, I don't know, just uh, watching old movies, watching new ones, just kind of trying to soak in the element a little bit. I don't really, uh, unfortunately, I don't have a job at the moment. Um, uh, good thing is my, uh, my girlfriend does, uh, her family does, so we're doing pretty well right now. But uh, yeah, for me, I've just been trying to, like I said, just soak in the element. Uh, uh, it's a really simple thing, but like you mentioned, you know, right now it's like you kind of uh, you realize what you took for granted before. Like for me, it's as simple as going on uh, my my friggin' Xbox and playing with my friends. I mean, you and cl- included, Pierce. You know, and just uh, you know connecting with people and trying to I don't know, just uh, I guess um, you know appreciate who you have around you because I think right now we all need each other a lot. You know. Yeah, even something as simple as going on a walk. Like I got quarantined for oh yeah because I was. I had like a bit of a cold. And I'm like, I don't even want to go in and risk it. So, yeah, I stayed home for a couple of weeks. I couldn't like leave my room the first few days, and it was weird because my family was like kind of freaked out. And I mean, I don't blame them. It's kind of a, a weird time, but yeah, just even something like going on a walk, it's it's crazy. Like I couldn't even go outside and go out, out for a walk. It's just it's crazy. But anyways, um, I want to go on. So Charlie, you had uh, Elliot Freeman on your podcast, uh, I think it was last week. How was that experience talking to Elliot Freeman? Because obviously Elliot Freeman is one of, uh, you could argue he's probably the most respected insider in the NHL just because, well, yeah, many people respect him. He's a nice guy. And yeah, I just wanted to know what you, what uh, how recording that podcast was with him. Yeah, he, he's so plugged in and he's so knowledgeable about the game and, and just the way he articulates himself is very admirable. And I, you know, I know he, he writes the 31 thoughts column every week and, and he does such a great job, but, but ever since the Blackhawks have kind of started to dip out of that dynasty era, there isn't as much attention on Chicago anymore. It may be as much as there were, there was in the past. So it was nice to kind of get that one-on-one time with Elliot and see how he sees the Blackhawks and how maybe teams across the NHL, are viewing the Blackhawks situation. And I thought the financial situation is um, was really at the forefront of my mind during that interview, because a lot of teams are going to be struggling coming out of this COVID-19 pandemic because the salary cap sure seems like it's going to stay flat next season and, and probably beyond too. It's not going to, it's not going to go up as um, high as maybe we thought the trajectory was going to be in the coming years and especially with the, the U.S. Uh, television deal uh, up. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. But but the Blackhawks situation is going to be uh, fascinating to watch because they have guys like Dominic Kubelik and, and Dylan Strom and Drake Kajula and Corey Crawford. All those guys are, are pending RFAs or, or UFAs and, and they're unsigned. So you wonder how, how they're going to fit all of them um, underneath the salary cap. All right, Jimmy, you can go. Oh, yeah, I was going to ask, um, you know, about that. And I've heard um, a lot of talk uh, regarding the cap and if it stays flat. Uh, the rumor's been just kind of around social media 
Uh, it seems to be that there would be a compliance buyout. Uh, do you, I guess, uh, don't want to dig too deep, but I was wondering if you, uh, you know, know anything about that, if you uh, have anything to add to that? Yeah, and Elliot was kind of the first one to really shed light on that possibility uh, way before we had him on the podcast. And the reason for it is because the players, I, I know this is kind of a, a gray area for a lot of fans and, and even in my mind too, it can get a little foggy, but um, with the players escrow, like with the salary cap staying the same and the NHL at risk of losing a billion dollars in revenue with this pandemic, there something is going to have to give over these next CBA discussions or even when we come out of this, whether it's a compliance buyout for every team to kind of lessen the burden on the player's escrow, which is going to be very high percentage uh, or, you know, you know, there, there's something is going to have to give. So I think that's where a compliance bio is going to have to come into, into, into play here. The problem is, or I guess the challenge is, both the NHL and the NHLPA are going to have to agree to this. And I don't know if that's going to be an issue, but I, I kind of feel like that would be a win-win for both the owners and the players that are currently um, playing to help lessen the burden of, of that player escrow percentage. So it's going to be interesting to see. I, I certainly think a, a compliance buyout is, buyout is on the table, and that would obviously benefit a, a team like the Blackhawks. So before we get into talking about potential compliance buyouts for the Blackhawks, um, a big topic of discussion on your podcast was uh, Dylan Strom and uh, Corey Crawford. Uh, first, Dylan Strom, obviously, the whole uh, Elliot Friedman thing was taken out of context, you know, Dylan Strom being available. And I like how he said, you know, especially during this time, you don't want to throw names out there and like stress them out. And like from Dylan Strom's perspective, being like, oh, what? I'm on the, the trading block. But um, uh just even looking at the center court, the future for the Blackhawks, things aren't looking bad. And we're obviously going to get into the draft later. There's a lot of centers. So do you think that there's a possibility if uh, Dylan Strom gets traded? Because I know it's it's fake, but I was looking at some uh, some armchair GMs on, uh, I think it was Cap Friendly, and I saw this trade, Dylan Strom for Jonas Brodeen, which I'm not sure would go through because Jonas Brodeen is like, he's basically Nick Jomerson 2.0. But anyways, that's getting off a bit off topic, but I'm wondering if, you know, if the Blackhawks maybe go another center or sign one in free agency or whatever, if Dylan Strom could potentially be on the table and, you know, who, what could they realistically get back for him? Yeah. I, I think if you trade a guy like Dylan Strom, like that would not sit well in the locker room, especially with guys like Alex Dabrinkit and Patrick Kane, who the three of them have really grown close and have had an on ice and off ice chemistry. And I think when you when the Blackhawks drafted Kirby Doc last year, it was kind of a question of how this was going to work in the long term with Jonathan Taves, Kirby Doc, and Dylan Strom as your three centers. Like which guy is going to be the the number one center, which guy is going to be the number two, and which guy is going to be the number three? Because all three of those guys are capable or have ceilings of top six potential. And obviously Jonathan Taves is already your number one. So it was really a question of what's going to happen with Kirby Doc and Dylan Strom. So I don't see the Blackhawks trading Dylan Strom, and I think both sides are going to come to some sort of shorter-term agreement knowing the financial ramifications of this COVID-19 pandemic. And I think we're going to see a lot of shorter-term deals across the NHL, maybe higher-profile names that thought that this was going to be their big payday, and maybe they have to settle for a one-year deal and kind of kick the can down the road for their big payday because of the uncertainty going on. So I I don't see the Blackhawks – 
being motivated to trade Dylan Strom at all. I think as soon as you trade a guy like that, you're trying to replace what he brings to the table. And at some point you have to start getting better here, right? Like you can't keep trading guys and then um, maybe using a draft pick on, on whatever they, they bring back. Like draft picks take a while to develop. So I think, you know, Dylan Strom is still a valuable part of the, of this team and I, I don't see them trading him. Yeah. So um, just looking, I always preach this, but center depth is always a pivotal part in winning a Stanley cup. Um, you look at the St. Louis Blues, Ryan O'Reilly was the legit number one center. Obviously, he won the Conn Smythe. They had Braden Shen, and I think it was Tyler Bozek as their one, two, three punch at center. It's pretty solid. And then you look at Washington, Kuznetsov, Backstrom, and Eller as their one, two, three punch. And then Pittsburgh Penguins, um, their one, two, three punch was uh, Crosby, Malkin, and Benito. And even when the, the Blackhawks won the cup in 2015, it was Taves, Richard, and Vermette. So the past like five years have been really indicative that. Um, Center depth really plays a big part in uh, winning the Stanley Cup. So I think they would benefit from keeping Dylan Strom, maybe getting some more skilled players to play alongside that third line with him and bring some more depth into the forward core. And I definitely think they should keep Dylan Strom, but also if there's a, a trade for a top four defenseman, like a Jonas Brodin kind of defenseman, then I absolutely think they should at least consider it. You always have to do your due diligence. But yeah, I think they would benefit from keeping Dylan Strome. And, you know, there's a lot of things saying, well, he had an off year. Well, he also had injuries and he was still on pace for 55 points, which is perfectly fine for a second line center. So yeah, I think they should at least wait one more year with Dylan Strome. I think they should keep him. And I definitely think that they're going to go short term. And also another part on, uh, the podcast that Elliot Freeman brought up, um, Corey Crawford. Um, he's obviously UFA this year, and it's just he's been with the organization so long. He was drafted in 2003. It's hard to imagine a scenario where he says, "No, I don't want to play here anymore." Obviously, the the thinking is that he would take uh, short term and uh, less money just because he's been here for so long and yada yada. But I I personally think he resigns. But in the event that he doesn't. Um, do you think that the Blackhawks could look to free agency, say like a Brian Holtby or Jacob Markstrom? Yeah, I, I think uh, I would be really surprised too if Corey Crawford didn't resign. Like that seems like, um, especially given the reports that that you know Robin Leonard. And... So we had a bit of an issue there. So yeah, going back to that question, do you think if somehow the Blackhawks can't get Crawford to resign, do you think they explore free agency for another goalie? Yeah. So what? What Elliot brought up too in that interview was how the Blackhawks weren't willing to go more than three years with Robin Leonard. And whether that's true or not, maybe it was three years or whatever. Um, it, it sure sounds like the Blackhawks would like a shorter term deal with whichever goaltender they do bring in and not spend this, not spend a large amount of money. So I don't see them going after guys like Braden Holtby or, or Jacob Markstrom. Um, I would be really surprised if they didn't re-sign Corey Crawford, just given the fact that he's basically on record saying that he would love to finish his career in Chicago. And um, I know he's getting up there in age, but a shorter term deal benefits the Blackhawks too. And it's not like Corey Crawford is going to break the bank. So you have guys like Colin Delia and Kevin Lankinen and even Alexis Gravel, who I know is unsigned, but some, some guys in the pipeline that maybe you can uh, groom along the way as Corey Crawford gets faded out of the picture. But we saw before this pandemic, uh, shut the league down that Corey Crawford was was sensational and in, in getting 11 straight starts and after alternating basically throughout the entire season with Leonard so when he did get that bulk of starts he was still better than ever and so I I would be 
um, surprised if they didn't bring him back and, and at least for, for another year. Yeah, I saw this stat that Corey Crawford had a higher save percentage than Audrey Vasilevsky, who won the Vesna Trophy last year, and who you could argue is arguably on the best team in the NHL, whereas Corey Crawford, you could argue, is on one of the worst defensive teams in the NHL. So it just shows you how, even at that age, he's still at the top of his game, and I think he can still give a couple more years. And I really do think they're going to keep Crawford, but uh, I don't know about that backup position. Obviously, Colin Delay could step in there, but I was looking at some UFA options. I looked at Yaroslav Halak. He's been doing great in Boston, but also you have to take into consideration that some uh, he's playing in uh, not as much many games, and he's playing behind that Boston defense. But one I really looked at was Anton Kadubin, who has a 9.30 save percentage on the Dallas Stars. Again, very good defensive team there in, in Dallas. Very good defensive structure, but. His 9.30 save percentage, even if that drops 10 to, say, like a 9.20, that's absolutely acceptable out of a backup. So I was wondering if they have any – because they did not give any, Malcolm Subban any starts, so I wonder if they're even going to sign him at all and maybe look at free agency for backup or bring Colin Dealey up. I'm not sure what's uh, happening there. I just wonder if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, that, that's an interesting situation too. I, I guess he's kind of the wild card, right? Like what you're going to do with Malcolm Subban and whether you feel like he can take the torch from Corey Crawford when it's all said and done, or was he a guy that just got brought in to make sure that they can fill the backup position for the rest of this season? Um, that part remains unclear. And you mentioned it. Kudobin is a guy that um, if they did explore externally, he, he's one of the guys that come to the forefront of my mind just because of um, he's unproven as a long-term starting goaltender. So he wouldn't call, he wouldn't break the bank. But he's also a guy that maybe you would take a flyer on. But um, I would still say that the, the better bet is Corey Crawford is back with the Blackhawks. Yeah, my whole thing there was like uh, kind of go with a 1-2, 1-A, one 1-B. One one well, not a 1-A, one 1-B. One Crawford's clearly going to be the starter. But I was thinking like maybe 45, 50 games for Crawford where Anton Kudovan could play 30, 35. I, I think that would be a great scenario for the Blackhawks. It's not like... Leonard and Crawford, where there's two number one starting goalies and there's going to be, you know, controversy over who's going to be the number one starter. Corey Crawford's going to be the number one starter. And I think Anton Godobin, he's been playing backup to Ben Bishop, so he knows his role of being a backup. I think that could be a, bad, a really good option for the Blackhawks there. And um, so, yeah, um, going on to the compliance buyouts, we kind of mentioned that earlier. This is a really big question here. Um Brent Seabrook, I was reading this uh, article on The Athletic about James Myrtle, and one of the it's it was um, 15 NHL players that might have played their last game, and one of the players on there was Brent Seabrook, and it said that, uh, I'll, he said, I'll say this, Brent Seabrook thinks he thinks that he's not done, and that kind of said a lot, it doesn't, you know, it didn't say that the Blackhawks think he can still play, it says he still thinks he can play, and I, I have no inside source on this, but I'm wondering if maybe the Blackhawks are maybe looking to somehow trade him, somehow buy him out if they get that compliance. But I I, I just don't know what is going to happen with Brent Seabrook because that's just such a big mystery. You know, he really struggled this year. I think he only had four points in the 32 games he played, something like that. And it really sucks because he was such a big part of bringing or reviving uh, hockey in Chicago. He scored so many playoff goals and, he won an Olympic gold medal with Canada in 2010. It's just he's been such a pivotal part, and I'm wondering what you think the Black if he's going to even be on the team next year. What do you think about that? Yeah, that that really is the the, the number one question um, on my mind or on Chicago fans' mind going into this off season because 
he obviously takes up, he, he's the highest paid defenseman on the team, obviously. And even before um, he had those season ending surgeries, he, he was healthy scratched a, a few times and he, he kind of, he made waves about it where he, he wasn't happy and he, he shouldn't have been, you know, like he's a prideful guy. He's won three Stanley cups and played a big part in those Stanley cups, but you, you have to wonder whether a conversation is going to take place this summer between the Blackhawks and Seabrook and kind of lay out what, what the, uh, what the potential plan is going to be, not necessarily what the future holds, but Hey, you know, you were, you know, obviously in and out of the lineup when you were healthy, do you feel like these surgeries are going to help you become a more, uh, a more well, well-rounded player, a better player? Have these injuries been taking a toll where it's been affecting your performance? And so you have to have that conversation and, and, and maybe let Brent know the situation going into next season, because they have all these young guys coming up, Adam Boquist, and they just signed Ian Mitchell. And we even saw Lucas Carlson and Nicholas Bodan before the pause got uh, put into play or was into effect. So there are a lot of bodies on the back end. And then you throw in a guy like Calvin Ahan, who also underwent season-ending shoulder surgery the second time in as many years. So there are, there's a lot of uncertainty on the back end, and it's a, it's a crowded group. And so you, I mean, I don't know how it, exactly it's going to sort itself out. And maybe that's a question for the summer. Maybe you, you wait till training camp next season to see which guys are, are rising to the top. And, and so it's um, that, that's certainly a question mark because obviously we, we talked about the financial impact of this COVID-19 pandemic. The Blackhawks aren't going to have as much financial flexibility as they originally thought. And so you have to now start to explore every avenue and have some pretty difficult discussions i guess uh and uh, that's the thing oh my oh, no, you can go, Jimmy, oh okay so uh yeah well can. i i well i guess uh on that topic yeah i mean i was uh somebody who started watching the hawks around the uh 2011-12 season and uh so it's uh it's sort of a reality check to see these guys and uh i guess seabrook's the first of well aside from host seabrook's kind of the first one to i uh, you know kind of i guess as a defenseman you know they uh they age a bit uh, faster than, uh, I guess, forwards and other positions. So it's, you know, it's kind of a reality check to see, uh, you know, where his games come to at this point. And, uh, you know, it's nothing against him, but uh, it's, you know, it you get into these positions, especially with the contract he signed. But, uh, you know, it is it is what it is. Um, so, uh, yeah, nothing against Seabrook, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a tough situation for sure for both sides. And I guess with that... Um, you mentioned uh, you know, the uncertainty on the back end. Uh, Calvin DeHaan, who is, uh, you know, looking to possibly be a piece, is, you know, go went uh, 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 under season-ending injury. Um, I know Mata has been talked by, I guess, a lot of fans. I don't know if it's from sources. He's been mentioned a lot when it comes to uh, uh, possible buyouts. And uh, obviously we just talked about Seabrook. And, obvi- and in general, this defense would definitely need a shake-up if they want to make the playoffs. So one thing that uh, – uh, Pierce had brought up on our last podcast was a possible UFA defenseman. And uh, the three he brought up were, I thought, uh, very interesting uh, possibilities, especially if someone like Calvin DeHaan or an Ole Mata left. And that would be uh, someone like TJ Brody, um, Joel Edmondson. I think it was somebody else, Pierce. I forget the uh, the last one you had there. Oh, Brendan Dillon. Brendan, Brendan Dillon, yeah. Dillon. So I guess personally, uh, well, we both agree that Joel Edmondson, uh, looking at his uh, – 
defensive zone starts and how well he's been uh, providing, I guess, uh, possession numbers uh, even with that. He was somebody we really we really liked, but uh, I guess I wanted to ask you uh, what you would do or who you think they would look at in the offseason if they're looking at defense. Yeah, it's it's a it's a challenging question because of because the financial ramifications of this pandemic have really changed the outlook on things, right? So, like when you look at the UFA market um, and the fact that the salary cap is likely going to stay the same. I don't know that the Blackhawks can get very aggressive in free agency because of the internal housework that they have to do with Kubelik and Strom and, and you figure Crawford. So as much as it, as you know, we would like to to look at the, the UFA list list and, and try to predict who would be a good fit and, and, and whatnot, it, it would, you know, you kind of have to, it's too early to predict in my opinion, because we have to see what the, the next contracts for Kubelik and Strom are going to be and Crawford. And then uh, j- just, it, it's a, it's a complicated situation. So I think after we get clarity on what the, the salary cap could be and, and how the Blackhawks are going to utilize, whether they are going to go potential buyout with Olimata or a Zach Smith, where they do get some, significant cap relief as opposed to uh, buying out a guy like Seabrook if it's not compliance. Uh, you know, so all of that is going to play out here in the coming months. And then we can maybe revisit what kind of names. But right now, it just doesn't seem financially possible to explore the UFA market. Obviously, it's a time of uh, huge uncertainty now, which means I'm obviously going to ask you um what do you think the Blackhawks are going to look like next year? And by that, I mean, do you think Brent Seabrook is going to be part of the Blackhawks next year? Do you think they put them on L- him on LTIR? Do you think they go in compliance buyout or even go and trade where they retain salary? What do you think is going to happen with that? Well, if, if the Hawks or the league does incorporate compliance buyout, it, it would be difficult for, for the Blackhawks. It would be difficult to see the Blackhawks not using it on Brent Seabrook, but if, the, if that's not part of the equation, it, it all indications are that Brent Seabrook wants to continue playing. And we even saw it um, before this pandemic hit. There was a moment at Blackhawks practice where he surfaced uh, when we were in the locker room and he was kind of just juggling the puck on the ice just for a little bit with it, with his hip brace on and whatever. So he it sure seems like he, he has no intention on hanging up the skates, whether you put him on LTIR and you know, make him a, do a Marion Hosa with him where uh, he just, he doesn't file his retirement papers, but he gets put on, on long-term injured reserve and you get cap relief or some sort of cap relief, depending on how you use it. So, uh, and, and obviously if he does return, the, the big question is where does he fit in the lineup? Like, is he going to be that six, six defenseman again, or, or rotating in and, the, in and out of the lineup where he's, he can be a healthy scratch and maybe he's unhappy with that role and, that's obviously not beneficial for the Blackhawks, him making north of $6 million and, and he's uh, watching a few games from the press box. So again, I, I know it's, uh, I wish I could give you guys more of a, a clear answer on how that situation is going to play out, but it, it's seriously, no one can predict what's going to happen from now until the start of next season, or even if this season returns, if, if it goes into uh, August, you know, Calvin DeHaan and Brent Seabrook might be, ready to play by that point so so who knows how it's going to play out yeah the thing about Brent Seabrook is we kind of brought it up but 
obviously he's a competitive guy, but you just look at the the defense and even just the right side, you hope to go oh, Adam Boakfist and, of course, Ian Mitchell just signed, and I think he should get at least a look in in the lineup, and honestly, I think he'll, he'll make the NHL. And Connor Murphy as well, who's been more one of the more underrated defensemen in the, in the NHL, honestly, and where does Brent Seabrook fit? And that's where it kind of gets to this point, you know, um, if you're Stan Bowman, you know, he's been such a big part of the franchise and he's a competitive guy. He has a family with three kids, which is also a huge part. And one of the things that I, I actually liked about Stan Bowman before kind of the past few years is that he always made those tough decisions, even though if they, they've been part of a winning team, you know, he traded away Dustin Bufflin. And as soon as they kind of stopped doing that, you know, I love Brent Seabrook, but eight-year, $55 million contract, even when they signed it at the time, I thought was just not a good contract because how rarely do defensemen play till the age of 39? I believe that's when the contract's up for Seabrook. And yeah, again, as soon as, soon as he stopped making those hard decisions, honestly, like Bowman, he should have tried to look for a trade, but obviously that's that's hindsight or even looked at like a shorter-term contract. Again, hindsight, if you're Brent Seabrook, you absolutely cannot turn it down. You're not, you know, if you're in a position where you're offered $55 million over eight years, you don't say, oh, I don't think I'm going to be worth that money in <laughs> however many years, and I'm going to take less money. But, yeah, I don't blame Brent Seabrook at all. It's just a tough situation. It's going to be interesting to Spoman, you know, again, once again, just keep him on the team because of that relationship where, they, where he has, or did you make that tough decision and move on from him? And I I think that's going to be the biggest question the Blackhawks has. I, I personally just don't see a thought with uh, Brent Seabrook having a spot on this roster, and maybe he could be a, a useful somewhere else. I thought about Florida. Maybe if they buy him out or whatever, maybe he goes to Florida, plays for Joel Quenville. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, it's just such a such a tough decision. But, uh, yeah, we're going to go uh, to a different topic now, the draft. Um just looking at the standings right now in the point percentage, the Blackhawks would be picking ninth, and that's also without taking any lottery um, into considerations. And I've been reading a lot of like mock drafts and a lot of draft rankings, and the three players that keep popping up to me are Anton Lundell, uh, Yaroslav Iskarov, and uh, Jack Quinn. And I just wonder if you've been kind of uh, – looking at uh, the draft and who the Blackhawks could potentially go after. Yeah, I've been kind of keeping an eye on it. Not not doing too much work into the, the top of the draft just because we still don't know how the regular season or how the order is going to play out. Um, but obviously the Blackhawks would be in the number nine spot right now if the lottery balls fall the way they're supposed to based on percentage. And it's going to be a pretty interesting draft in my opinion for the Blackhawks because the past few years they obviously prioritized defensemen with getting Yoki Haru and Nicholas Bodan and Adam Boquist and Ian Mitchell and then so last year obviously Bowen Byram was on the table at number three but they ended up going with Kirby Dock who is a center and we just spent the last uh, few minutes earlier in the podcast talking about how it was going to work with Jonathan Taves and Kirby Dock and Dylan Strom down the middle so I tend to think, and, and the Blackhawks don't think this way, they always, they usually pick the best player available, regardless of position, but I tend to think that they would lean more towards drafting a winger um, and try to get some scoring um, just to lessen the offensive pressure on guys like Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane, who are obviously getting up there in age. And even though they are producing at such an elite level at age 31 years old, at some point you are going to have to look for depth scoring and primary scoring elsewhere as those guys fade into more 
secondary roles, although it might be a while for, for that. But uh, I like the name that you mentioned just off the surface is, is Jack Quinn, um, guy that's a winger, put up 52 goals in the OHL last year. And I think he could be that scorer in the NHL, but he's also known for being a, a two-way um, a two-way player, a two-way forward. And that's kind of something they've been lacking is you either have an Alex DeBrinkin and Dylan Strome, both offensive-minded guys, but you don't have that uh, that Marion Hosa type anymore. And I know Brandon Saad falls into, into that category, but they don't have enough of those guys. So um, I would I would be leaning early on, I would be leaning Jack Quinn, um, but we'll obviously have to see who's on the table, how the order is going to shift between now and then, and, and obviously – uh, where the Blackhawks are going to fall percentage-wise. I guess, uh, well, myself, there's been one player among, it seems, uh, uh, I guess just uh, general journalists in the IHL, fans, and that one pick is Yaroslav uh, Askarov, uh, the goaltender from Russia. And it's a bit of a uh, hot question, a bit controversial, like I said, but do you think that with Crawford being as old as he is, do you think there's any possibility the Hawks look at drafting him at number nine if he's available there? We we really don't see goaltenders drafted in the first round anymore because they have such a long trajectory to get to the NHL. Like even Corey Crawford was um, drafted in the second round by the Blackhawks and it, it didn't take him a few years to crack the NHL full time. So I don't, I don't see that happening just because there are different ways to get goaltenders and try to find the next rising star, whether it's you dip into the KHL, whether that's a, an undrafted free agent, like Antini Emmy in 2009, 2010, or whether it's you draft someone later on in, in the, uh, in the draft, like Alexis Gravel, and and hopefully you try to develop him at a point where his timeline lines up when they are ready to find that next goaltender. But there are a lot of different ways to to find cheap goaltenders, but also effective goaltenders. And so I I get the feeling that they probably wouldn't, but I I wouldn't completely rule it off the table. Uh, I just don't know if drafting a goaltender. I don't know if they would have a few years to wait using a top 10 pick when you want to win now with, with Jonathan Taves and, and Patrick Kane still being at elite levels and, and wanting to keep that window open. I guess another... So oh, I was doing... Oh, you can go, you go. Oh, my apologies. Yeah, I guess uh, one player... I know you mentioned him and the fact that the Hawks don't have many of them, but one player that came up at the deadline a lot um, from what... I saw and a lot of people heard is that there was a deal in place with the Bruins or at least they were close to a trade. Do you see him being someone that might be moved at, say at the draft uh, where his stock could be very high? Uh, I'm sorry. Who are we talking about? Oh, Brandon Sod. I apologize. Yeah. Brandon Sod. Oh, I thought I'm like, who are you talking? You didn't mention <laughs> yes, the name. Yeah. Anthony Niemi. Yes. Well, Brand- Brandon Sod <laughs> is an interesting case because I feel like if you were going to trade him, you you probably should have done it at this trade deadline because we see how valuable that extra year is where, whereas, um, you know, you just look across the league, there were no, I don't think there were any first round draft picks traded at this year's trade deadline for a rental type player. Like they, all those players had term on their contract, but 
the the issue is Brandon Saad by himself probably isn't drafting or probably isn't fetching you a first round pick. And so you would have to package him. And also the Blackhawks were also, uh, you know, they're still trying to win now. Like they're not going to trade a guy like Brandon Saad just to get draft picks in return. Like if you're, if you're moving a guy like Brandon Saad, and even if you explore that option in the summer, you're probably doing it because you're patching up a hole elsewhere, whether it's a top four defenseman, whether it's, maybe finding a starting or a backup goaltender that could eventually become your number one down the, down the road. Like they wouldn't do it just to, um, you know, just to get 90 or 80 cents on the dollar and use that draft pick elsewhere. So I don't see that happening unless they're really, they really get the doors blown off them. So I wanted to bring up stats of the, the draft players that I mentioned, Anton Lindell, he had Pretty close stats to Patrick Laine, who went second overall, and somewhat close to Capocacco, who went second overall. Obviously, I don't think he's that good, but he's definitely someone who can go inside the top 10. But the biggest concern with him is skating. And then going on to Yaroslav Askarov, um, the v- he plays he played in, mostly in the VHL this year, which I believe is the AHL equivalent in Russia. And... I looked at the stats for the past 10 years that that league has existed, or at least the stats were available for. He played the most games out of any goalie, and he's not even 18. And he had a 928 percentage, which was the highest of any goalies, which says a lot. And another thing with Askarov was he got picked to play on the uh, the World Juniors team in Russia, which is almost impossible to crack the team if you're not 19, because I think their coach, Valery Bregan, always chooses older players. But the fact he was... 17 year old, years old, he doesn't even turn 18 until June, and he he has a goalie got selected to go to the World Junior team and even got started. I think that says a lot about his pedigree, but also the thing is, it's a goalie. Goalies take forever, but at the same time, look at Andre Vasilevsky. I believe it only took him a, a few years, so I don't know. And uh, Jack Quinn, I, I, do, I don't mind Jack Quinn. Obviously, he had 52 goals, um, very competitive player. My thing is with Jack Quinn is that he mostly played behind uh, against uh, least easier or uh, easier competition. Sorry, on the second line, obviously, 52 goals. It's it's nothing uh, to to laugh about. Like that's it's a really good amount. It's just I think Jack Quinn. He kind of I don't want to say he came out of nowhere, but I like to see another year of Jack Quinn and. Another player that's supposed to go high, his teammate Marco Rossi. I would love him to drop to number nine, but I doubt that's going to happen. But, uh, yeah, I could also very well see the Blackhawks going Jack Quinn. Jack Quinn and Anton Liddell look very realistic picks. Uh, I don't know if they go at Scarroff. It would definitely be interesting if they did. But, uh, yeah, those are my thoughts on the draft players. It would be nice if, if, like, if we draft Jack Quinn and say he puts up another 50-goal ski- season, um, you know that's awesome, and I think he's gonna be a heck of a player. But a lot, a lot of these uh, play when you draft players, you always look at the 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 track record. And even when the Blackhawks drafted Kirby Doc, he's always had this hype of being this uh, big center who can put up a lot of points. And same with Adam Bogfist, a great offensive defenseman. Jack Quinn, he kind of came out of nowhere. But um, anyway, if he can put up another year, I think he can be a great prospect. But uh, yeah, um, so yeah, we talked about the draft and. Looking at the drafts, uh, the Blackhawks have a first-round pick, a uh, second-round pick, and two third-round picks. And no matter what you think of what Stan Bowman did at the trade deadline, and even if the draft, when whenever the draft happens, that the Blackhawks usually hit on their first-round pick. So no matter who you pick, you're going to probably be fairly confident in uh, who they pick. So um, 
Yeah, we kind of talked about uh, how the Blackhawks could look next year. We kind of talked about uh, the goaltending, the defense, and uh, we haven't really touched much on the forward. So I wonder um, how the for- how you think the forward situation is going to go looking forward. Huh? Yeah, it's very interesting because Patrick Kane, Alex DeBrinket, Dylan Strom, and we kind of touched on this on our on our Blackhawks Talk podcast too. Is how do you balance the lineup when you know that DeBrinket, Strom, and Kane love to play with each other? and trying to balance um, giving Patrick Kane the right guys to play with on his line. And usually he likes playing with one of Dabrinkit or Strom. But on the flip side, it's also, you know, Alex Dabrinkit and Dylan Strom work very well together. And we've seen it going back to their OHL days. And so how do you, how do you divvy up the keeping all three of those guys happy when they aren't playing together while also trying to divvy up the, uh, the depth scoring. So uh, like we mentioned earlier, the, the, the financial impact um, where Dominique Kubelik is going to fit in the longer term and shorter term picture, depending on what his next contract looks like and, and how you fill out that depth. And I honestly think it's going to be trying to fill those gaps from within like Kirby doc taking the next step and, um, you know, maybe a guy from Rockford emerges like a, like a Philip Kurashev or even an Evan Barrett who uh, will probably start the year in Rockford and, and, you know, probably needs maybe one more year to, to get used to the um, NHL style of game, but he is growing quickly within the internal ranks of the Blackhawks because he consistently got better at Penn state and he's more of a, um, he's got higher offensive upside. Think Andrew Shaw type, but, Again, he, you know, he's probably still another year away from being an impact type player, but that's what it's going to, it's going to take. It's going to take guys from within trying to step up into larger roles and taking on um, bigger responsibility, whether that's in the offensive zone or defensive zone. So uh, I I would have to say that's the area it's going to have to, it's going to be a competitive training camp is is basically what I'm trying to say. And, And so that should be fun to watch. Yeah, so that's another name I've kind of completely forgot about. Andrew Shaw, what do you think the future looks like for him? Because he's had so many um, injuries in the past, and I can't even remember the last time he's played a full 82-game season. And, yeah, just what, what, is, what do you think the future is for him? Yeah, so I was, I was told when, when they shut him down for the season, I was told that he was feeling uh, much better but didn't want to risk coming back um, – and playing the season when it really, you know, felt like the season was kind of spiraling out of, I don't want to say out of control, but it didn't seem like a playoff berth was on the table at, at that point. And, and, and really the team also shut him down, probably wanting to, to play, play this smart also and, and revisiting this next year. But I do feel like he is going to come back and play and be an effective player, but obviously he does have concussion history. And so you wonder how much, of that is going to impact just his durability and how much of a role he does play because he obviously does play that grittier style of game and, and plays, he likes to play obviously on offense and, and, and does have that provide that net front presence on the Blackhawks that they don't really have much of. And even, but, but even when he was healthy, he, he really wasn't performing at the level that we thought he, he would coming out of that, um, career year in Montreal's but 
I do think there was there would be some sort of correction next season. Like I, I still believe that he can be an impact type player, but obviously health is really the primary concern when it comes to him. Well, that's good because I've heard a lot of people say or like a lot of speculation that he might not, might not even play again just because of his concussion issues. But that's actually good news to hear that he's feeling better and that he might even get a chance to play next year. So that's and, good and, and, and listen, he, um, he might, um, you know, I, I believe that he is feeling he is feeling much better and things like that. But all, we also have seen guys hang, hang up the skates not because they're going through symptoms, but because they don't want to go through it again. So even if Andrew Shaw is feeling, you know, as close yeah. to 100% as possible, like it, it, he still could decide, you know, maybe I don't want to do this anymore and risk getting one more. Um, but I, I still think he, he, he does have plans to play. Yeah, I, that's true. The theme of this podcast seems to be uncertainty. Certainty, yeah. Certainty, but yeah, too many people. yeah, I was going to say, I, I myself, um, I mean, after my uh, insane, uh, you know, midget in-house uh, career. I myself had a, you know, I had a multitude of concussions, and it's something that I've, uh, um, I guess it's sort of uh, something I, I pride, take pride in, is how hard I've worked to get back from that. And uh, the way I look at it is that, like you said, I, I can, I can completely relate to that. Is that um, myself? I could go and uh, play, you know, in a men's league or anything or this or that. I know that it's a couple small levels down from the NHL. I'm sure. Um, but I, I, I think that definitely, uh, I don't know. I, I think that that's definitely something that a lot of people overlook is that it's not about if you can play because a lot of guys can play. It's more that should you play. And I think myself, I, I hope that if he, uh, part of me hopes that he could retire and, uh, you know, he has a wife now. I, I think he may have a kid or even if he doesn't, you know, it's always a possibility that you could be a father. So I, I don't know. I have to say myself, I hope the best for him and, uh, you know, I'm sure that he'll make the right choice. You know, whatever he feels is right. You know, a lot of guys have, you know, the, being in this league, you know, you hear a lot about this stuff. And I think especially right now, it's the league is, I guess not the league, but the players and the community is very open about these things. And uh, I think we're very, uh, right now, he and a lot of players are very lucky to have that uh, kind of knowledge right now, for sure. And um, not really a clean segue, but I have to ask you, uh Charlie, if you are trying to influence the Blackhawks to trade for a noted Greek uh, name haver, Andreas <laughs> Athens, to you, because that's been the biggest question on my mind today. You know, it, it would. It, I would have. I would have been the biggest proponent of that happening for sure. And I think what did he go for? Two, <laughs> two second, two second round picks, right, for Edmonton. Oh man, did he? I, I don't know. Yeah, uh, I think they got him okay. for a pair of seconds. I'm pretty sure it was two seconds. Yeah, it was two seconds. And yeah, so I, the, I don't know. I think that name is much worth much more than those two second round picks. But that's just me. And the the obviously the issue for you know if the Blackhawks really did want to do that, it would it wouldn't be just trading for him. It would also be how do you sign him to a longer term contract and if he fits in your financial plans and. I'm sure that at the time would have been difficult to budget, but hey, if he would have been oh, yeah. traded to Chicago, I would have been the first one to greet him and welcome him to Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, some some damn recognition here, you know. Thank you, Andreas. Yeah, you know, I know people have mentioned that he uh, his defensive game isn't very strong at all, and you mentioned that they need they want to have more guys that have a two way game. But the way I look at it is that if you can get a guy with a name that badass, then you absolutely throw everything on the table away for him. Regardless of if it fits your system or not, for sure. You don't have to convince me, Jimmy. 
<laughs> no, I don't think I do at all. No, <laughs> I think Pierce. Uh, maybe uh, you want to look at the uh, prospects now, maybe, or the I should say the um, the signings of the prospects is that uh, just happened last week. Yeah, before I want to get into that, I also wanted to bring up another thing. Uh, Corey Crawford, he was kind of in that situation. You know, he's had concut head issues. Did you want oh, yeah. to go back there again? And obviously he had a – I think he's he was married last summer and he has a uh, a, a son. And there's – I think there's that quite I, – I bet he had that uh, debate in his head. You know, do I – I have a family now. Do I want to risk – I've had these concussion issues. Do I want to risk going back or do I want to hang them up? And But he's come back and – he still looks amazing, so maybe Andrew Shaw can have that uh, same kind of uh, comeback, I guess. But, uh, yeah, we're going to go on to uh, top five prospects. I actually believe we asked you this last time we were on the podcast, so this might be uh, kind of on putting you on the spot. What What are your top five prospects at the moment in the Blackhawks organization? Oh, good question. Are we counting Adam Boquist and Kirby Doc as prospects, or are they have they graduated to NHL? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I had to agree on that. Yeah. I think, yeah. Anybody in Rockford or lower at this point. So I think. Or who hasn't played in Yeah. 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 Okay. So I, I would, I would say the top, the top prospect then right now is, is Ian Mitchell. I I know they feel very, very high on him. And last season, um, or actually I should say in January, when we talked to Stan Bowman, uh, he, he selfishly was like, we wish he was here right now. And, and the fortunate thing about the uh, the Blackhawks and Ian Mitchell's case is he's he's 21 years old. So when he does play in the NHL, um, whenever that is, he's not going to be, uh, you know, Adam Boquist and, and Nicholas Bodan and, and those young guys, like they're still growing both um, on the ice and off the ice physically. Like you could still see that that Adam Boquist has not um, like he's still developing as a, as a man. So. Ian Mitchell is a guy that's he's I mean he wore he wore the C at Denver so he he's got leadership intangibles but he's also a guy that is mature both on and off the ice and his game would translate really well at the NHL level so I'm going to say top prospect right now would would be um Ian Mitchell and most importantly Calhoun native of Alberta yes <laughs> most importantly all right I have a question. Would you consider like, like where would you rank the the top ten pick? Like the number nine. Like say that's the number nine pick. What, would you rank that on your rankings, or would you count that at all? Like if say regardless of who we drafted, where would you put that number nine pick? Would you put a number one or where? Uh, that's a good question. I, I would I would keep Ian Mitchell at number one, and I would put that number nine pick probably right at number two. Uh, just because honestly, I agree with you. Just because Ian Mitchell's more NHL ready and. You know he's going to be good. Yeah, Alberta. So. Number nine pick yet. There's a lot of uncertainty with that. So yeah, I agree. Yeah, and you know that Ian Mitchell is developing. Like you, you can see his trajectory, and you know he's getting better and better. Like just look at his numbers at Denver, every, from freshman to sophomore oh, yeah. to junior. Every year he he took a a larger step forward. So you can see that it's going to translate at the NHL level pretty seamlessly. All right, I yeah. guess I have to ask myself: Do you think he would be? Uh... I mean, I think he's NHL ready myself, but uh, I'm a little more on the outside than you. Uh, do you think that he would uh, be able to get a starting position opening night? Ian Mitchell? Uh, yes, yes, Ian Mitchell. Yes, I, I, I think he's going to be on the opening day roster. Oh, good. Glad we're in agreement because I will be gladly watching him then. 
I guess uh, after Ian Mitchell and after that number nine pick, who would you have in uh, three, four, and five uh, for their prospects? Oh, man, really really putting me on the spot here, huh? That's yeah. our job, I don't, I don't, That's I don't have do. the, I don't have the list of prospects, so I'm going. I'm gonna. I'm gonna certainly forget someone. But you can just list them off. It doesn't. Matter. Oh yeah, go ahead, man. Yeah. Prospects that pop to your head. I, obviously, Nicholas Bodan is the guy that we kind of lump into that group because he was a first round pick. But he's not. He's he's a a pretty steady defenseman. He's not that kind of guy that you're gonna watch him and be like, oh wow, this guy was certainly a first round pick. Like. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. I, I think he's just um, – you're not going to notice him in a good way. Like, he's just a steady all-around defenseman and maybe a guy that can quarterback your your second power play unit. Although, you know, with Boquist and Mitchell, I'm sure those two guys are, are probably going to be, be the guys for the future. But he's just an all-around steady defenseman. But he's developing at a slower rate than the others. So I think there is still that um, – that, potential with him but it's just coming slower than than the others and I, I know I mentioned him earlier but I really like a guy like Evan Barrett and drafted in the third round I think he's quickly going to emerge as a sneaky good middle six uh, prospect and then Philip Kershev we saw um, took a significant step forward after he was drafted from year one to year two and and they bring him over to um they bring him over to North America. So I, I think he, he could be a guy to, to look out for. So I would, I would uh, put those three guys in the conversation after Ian Mitchell and the number nine overall pick. Another guy I want to add is Brandon Hagel, only uh, 21 years old. He generated a ton of shots at the AHL level and even scored, I think, I think close to 20 goals. I don't have the exact stats in front of me, but I know he's a goal scorer, someone who can put the puck in the net. So I'd also put him in that uh, kind of group with uh, guys like uh, Khrushchev, Barrett, and uh, Bowden. But uh, yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, I... I have to ask you this question. What is, do you have some entertaining stories from the Blackhawks locker room this year? Oh man. Uh, one of the, one of the funny ones um, that actually happened on camera was it was the game when the Blackhawks modified their uh, defensive structure. I believe it was against, was it, I think it was Vancouver or Minnesota it was, it was a Sunday night game. And it was it really eased the tension in the locker room because they were spiraling after that first month. And Jeremy Carlton had implemented a new system of playing more of a protecting the house and, and having four guys in that slot area to make sure that they were limiting the high danger chances. And so after they went on that road trip, like it was very clearly like they were really struggling to score goals. They were still giving up a high quality amount of scoring chances and so that was the first game that they had changed things back to the system from last year when they were playing more of a run and gun and and they were giving up a lot but they were also scoring a lot and that was the first game that we saw that and they really erupted offensively in that game I believe they won five to one and after that game um, Andrew Shaw and, and Patrick Kane I don't know if this was choreographed or this was pre-planned or if they were just going with the flow but they really threw us media members off our our wheels because they were answering the question for the other. And I don't know if you guys remember it or if you guys <laughs> saw it. 
it was it was so bizarre and we were all kind of it was just this big scrum because they had just got back from their uh, like a three-game road trip so they got all these chicago cameras and we're all kind of looking at each other like what the heck is happening so it was cool to see that kind of loosey-goosey moment where the media members were for once thrown off they're thrown off a little bit so that was fun yeah do you have any uh any other interesting stories um i'm trying to think uh i don't i don't really have anything good A, a lot of the guys um they'll play a game of of um of two puck where uh, they, they played at practice a lot where you get two opportunities to score on the goalie. And if you score, you move on. If you don't, then you, you're not. And, and when Robin Leonard was with the Blackhawks, he would really chirp guys and be very vocal at practice. And then they would open up the locker room to the media and we would be in, in the locker room. And, and Robin Leonard would still be, he'll be, you he would be giving it to guys. And I remember <laughs> Dylan, I know Dylan Stroman and Dylan Stroman, Robin Leonard always went back and forth about what counted as a goal and what didn't, or if it was counted as an official game or if it was just a practice. So Robin Leonard was certainly a guy that would spice things up in the locker room. And, and we would kind of be witnessing them just shouting across the room at each other for a very, very friendly, obviously they were, they were a tight knit group, um, but friendly competitive nature coming out of, out of, out of those two and just the locker room in general. That's what I love about Robin Leonard. And that's what I'm going to miss about him. He was just always so vocal and it seems like he was such a big presence in the locker room and a lot of people liked him and yeah, it sucks. He's gone, but I think that's a whole other topic, but yeah, it's interesting to hear all those uh, stories from the locker room because often you really don't uh, – ho- usually hockey players are really quiet, uh, especially compared to other sports. So just hearing those stories is really cool. So, um, Jimmy, do you have the questions pulled up? Oh, yeah, and we can absolutely. Uh, so – All right, let's, all right, let's get into those. Yeah, so the uh, first question comes from uh, – I'll hold up just my uh, Twitter. There we go. Uh, first question comes from Dylan Schmidt, and he asks, what do you think the starting defensive pairings will be for the 2020-2021 season? Oh, man. Putting so, you on the spot again, man. Well, <laughs> I, I, honestly, I, I say that because we, we spend so much time talking about we have no idea what the, the outlook is going to be with Brent Seabrook's future and Calvin DeHaan's health and – um, in my opinion, like I just said, I think Ian Mitchell is going to start the season. Um, is Slater Cuckoo part of the fold next year because he's a, also a pending RFA? And then um, also talking about Olimata, where does he fit into the picture? And, and financially, how is this all going to sort itself out? So there are so many guys that are part of this fold right now. And even Lucas Carlson, I thought, was playing really well. Oh, I love this game. Up. Like he was such a, yeah, he was such a steady defenseman when he was up there. So it's like... My God, like who, who, so ideally you pick six guys that are going to be your everyday players. And then that seventh guy has to be like a Slater Cuckoo type player where he knows his, he knows his role. I thought he looked very solid this season uh, after last one. Very steady. Yeah, he, he really did. But you don't want to have a guy like Adam Boquist or Nicholas Bodan or Lucas Carlson in that number seven spot because they're still young players and they have to be playing every single day. So it's easy to kind of pick out maybe the seven best defensemen of the group, but it would all, it's also like that seventh player has to be, or that seventh, or if you have an eighth defenseman, those two players that are going to be healthy scratches every night have to be players that know their role and have accepted that role. So it's going to be really difficult. I think Duncan Keith, Adam Bolquist, 
um, Calvin Ahan, Ian Mitchell, Connor Murphy, those five guys to me are, are kind of locks as to who, and obviously this is assuming that Calvin Ahan is healthy and is going to play, right. but those five guys to me seem like they're going to be locks on the opening day roster. And I, I don't want to say the sixth spot is up for grabs because that it's likely going to go to Brent Seabrook if he, if he does come back, just because of the, um, the amount of money he's making and just the responsibility in that locker room. Like you're not going to open up training camp or the opening day roster and he's not going to be on it. So it's just going to be fascinating to, to see how this plays out because then you got a guy like maybe Olimata who's on the outside looking in and he's, he was also traded for a, a Dominic Cahoon because you thought that he would be a steady presence on the back end and provide that, uh, de- you know, take most of the defensive zone draws, be a, a, a effective on the penalty kill. So it's it's early to predict what the pairings are going to be, but those the, the five guys that I mentioned earlier before I think are are as close to locks on the opening day roster as possible, and then and then the rest are, are up for grabs. Gotcha. Yeah. I, yeah. I was gonna say that oh. third defense. Oh no, go ahead. Defe- yeah. Defensive. <laughs> yeah, that third defensive pairing spot. Yeah, I I agree with you on that five defensemen, but uh, yeah, um, for that like third pairing left-handed shot, I guess. Um, Oli Mata could be there if he's if like up could have that spot up for grabs if he's still there. He could even look go to a cheaper younger option, which would be Lucas Krausen, who again I thought looked great. I agree with you guys there. And same with Nicholas Bodin, who actually looks steady in his uh one game that he played in. There's still a bunch of potential there. So yeah, I definitely agree with that. So uh, yeah, what other uh, questions do you have, Jimmy? Sorry, or yeah, you can go or wait, go. Oh no, you're good. Yeah, I mean. Kind of to your point, yeah, um, to both of you guys, I'd say, yeah, I think um, just to add to it, I think the guy that really, really stood out to me at the end of the season, um, aside from Bodan, who I thought looked, I mean, it's just one game and it was against a, uh, a bottom feeding team in San Jose. Um, I thought Bodan looked fantastic. I thought he looked really good in his first game, very steady, very smart. You know, the things that he's been, uh, he's been known for uh, and the reason he got drafted as high as he was. But I thought Lucas Carlson, I think, you know, obviously <laughs> we're not the only ones that thought he looked uh, fantastic. Um, he just looked very steady. It's something the Hawks, I feel like, haven't had too much of in the last few seasons. So I think, uh, yeah, I'm really excited to see where he goes in the next uh, couple of seasons or so. And from then on. All right. The second question comes from at B Plattis, uh, reference to Twitter legend Bill Plattis. Uh our friend, <laughs> our friend Tate, uh, he says, it's something you sort of answered before, but to uh, give him his due diligence, he asked, where do you see Barrett and Mitchell dropping into the lineup? And could you see Mitchell making a run for the Calder? Uh, nice. Uh, good question. I'm going to skip to that last, the, the last part of, of can Ian Mitchell make a run at the Calder? Because yeah, I've been pretty vocal that I yeah. think he is going to make the opening day roster. Uh, it's a good question because, like I mentioned earlier, he is going. He's 21 years old, so he does have a leg up on some of the rookies that maybe are breaking in as 18 or teenagers. And the but the challenging part about his situation is that we see, I think this year with with Quinn Hughes and Kale McCarr, it, they've had remarkable NHL seasons, and I think it's more of a an aberration than. Um, the norm, not, not, not their seasons, but we, we really don't see defensemen taking control of the Calder race in today's NHL. It's usually guys that are scoring 30 goals and putting up 50 ish points and flashing up the score sheet. But Quinn Hughes and Kale McCarr are so good that they have risen to the top of 
um, the rookie leaderboards this year in points, which is insane. But what what's going to be challenging for Ian is Quinn Hughes and Kale McCarr are playing number one type defenseman roles on their team. Like they're averaging north of 21 minutes a game and they're getting all this they're getting power play time on on the number one unit. They're quarterbacking it. They're they're playing in all situations. And I don't know if Ian Mitchell is going to get that kind of responsibility right out of the gate. So it would be difficult for me to pencil him into a finalist role. But I wouldn't rule him out, uh, given the fact that he is going to be a little bit older and more mature than some of these other rookies. So um, it's a, it's a good question though, because I, I think Ian has that kind of potential where he can be an impact type player right away. Uh, speaking of Hughes and McCarr, who would you rather have? Oh. <laughs> oh, man, that's such a good question. And it's kind of it's kind of funny to look – or I shouldn't say funny, but it's, it's, it's so interesting to, to look back at that draft because Quinn Hughes was taken number seven overall, and the Blackhawks had the very next pick, and they picked Adam Boquist. So it's like – I feel like those two players are really going to be attached at the hip yeah. um, in their careers because, you know, Quinn Hughes is just absolutely flourishing right away. And so if Adam Boquist doesn't take the similar, fair or not, like if he doesn't take the, um, as, as quick of steps as Hughes is taking, everyone's kind of, and not that the Blackhawks had a choice between the two because he obviously got taken ahead of him, but um, that's the kind of defenseman that I'm sure the Hawks were hoping to get in Adam Boquist and they're hoping he can become that type of player. Uh, But it's such a good question. I kind of tend to lean towards Quinn Hughes just because I feel like, um, he, he's he's still such a skinny player like he I still feel like he's going to evolve as as an NHL all as an all-around NHL defenseman I think he has higher um higher offensive potential but boy I love watching both of those guys play like they're right there it's not even it's not even, it's like Quinn Hughes and Kale McCarr and then the rest like it's not Quinn Hughes then Kale McCarr it, it they're right, right there in the same category and, and I enjoy watching both of those play I agree with you. I totally take Quinn Hughes. Quinn Hughes has played tougher uh, competition against McCarr. Earlier in the season, I would have said McCarr just because he had that really hot start. But over the rest of the season, I thought Hughes was a, has been way better than McCarr. But obviously, they're both great young defensemen. It's nice to see that uh, we have uh, these young offensive defensemen coming into the league. And one thing that I think we forget about Quinn Hughes and Adam Wilkfist, obviously, there's that comparison that they won 7-8. and eight. I think there would have been a bigger uh, like debate, I guess, if uh, the Blackhawks made the choice over Quinn Hughes, like if, like say, if they were picking the pick before and they chose Bokefist instead of Hughes, but I think since they didn't really, again, you mentioned they didn't really have the the chance to that. I don't think there's going to be as much as like, oh, they could have gone Hughes or whatever. But uh, yeah, the thing we forget about is that uh, Adam Bokefist is uh, almost a year younger than Quinn Hughes, and I think at that time that's pretty uh, big because um, Adam Bokefist has a bit more. Uh, well, he still has to develop a bit more, whereas Quinn Hughes has kind of had that extra year because he's a late 1999 birthday. He obviously got to play in college. So, yeah, uh, maybe Adam Bokefist can really take that uh, step offensively next season. But, uh, yeah, I agree with you. i totally go uh, Quinn Hughes. And uh, do we have any more Yeah, a couple more. Uh, well, the one here, I guess you uh, sort of answered with the draft questions earlier. It comes from uh, at Wallmass35, our uh, good friend Wally. He asks... If you were the GM and had pick number nine, the current projected pick for the Hawks, who would you realistically take there and why? I guess if you want to add anything to that, uh, to that question, uh, even though you already talked about it before, uh, go right ahead. Yeah, I, I, I still would 
my early pick would be would be Jack Quinn, uh, based off the reasons that I, you know, articulated articulated earlier, given the fact that he is a winger, more of a two way guy. And and uh, Pierce, I thought you brought up a, a good point also about needing to see one more year of him. And I think what the Blackhawks, what this number nine overall pick would, you know, hypothetically speaking, if they do land in that spot, it would allow them to send that guy back to, uh, you know, either juniors or bring him to the AHL and let him groom for, for another year. Whereas when they drafted Kirby Doc, like it was such a large discussion about should they send him back? Should they keep him? And so I think they'll, right when they get, right when you get out of that one to two range, it's probably more likely that the player is going to be returned to their respective clubs for one more year. So I think the fortunate part about the Blackhawks or, or whoever is sitting in those outside, you know, inside the top 10, but outside the top three is that they will, they will have that luxury of, of getting another year of those players. Obviously the, the problem is you would, you would already draft them. So you wouldn't be able to see that that next year before maybe deciding on, on whether you, you feel comfortable with that player. But um, I, I would, I would still say early, early pick for me would be Jack Quinn. Yeah, I like that one. All right. So, yeah. So I wanted to ask you this question that's kind of related to the draft as well. And we kind of talked about it last episode, but we obviously all know Alex, Alexis Lafreniere is going uh, first overall, but there's actually some debate at number two. Let's see uh-huh, yeah. if the Blackhawks moved up to number two. There's been a big debate with uh, two players, Quentin Byfield of the Sudbury Wolves. I'm just wondering if you've done like kind of looked at these players and also Tim Stutzel of uh, Mannheim in Germany. Well, who would you pick? out of those two players. Yeah, whenever it's close like that, I always tend to favor the center over the winger. So I w- I would say it would be Quinton Byfield's uh number 2 spot to lose. So uh I know he's, you know, big point producer, um you know, all-around good player offensively and he he can kind of play really any style, right? Like he's he's such a big body and big frame that he can play a fast game, but he can also play um he can also play, you know, be that kind of Kirby Doc-like player where, you know, they're hoping he can be turned into a Ryan Getzlaff to play a playoff-type style where it might get grittier, or you could play a skilled game. So I think that – I would go Quentin Byfield at number two. Yeah, um, that's the big debate, obviously, right now. And one good comparison I saw from Craig Button was, who I believe you've had on your, your uh, show before, he said that, would you rather have Evgeny Malkin or Patrick Kane? And that's very interesting because I don't think it's a clear-cut answer, but obviously Patrick Kane's a winger. He has silky smooth hands. But you look at um, Evgeny Malkin, he's this big center. And when he's on top of his game, it's like almost impossible to stop him. And as much as I love Patrick Kane, like Evgeny Malkin, when he's when he's angry, when he's pissed off, it, like he's he's basically almost an unstoppable. I don't know if Byfield has that like aspect to him, but yeah, I would go Byfield. But also the prospect, like just thinking about Doc and Byfield as your one-two punch in center, or even just thinking of Tim Stutzel and the Kirby, like Stutzel and Kirby Doc's wing. Obviously, it'd be great if the Blackhawks move up again, but I don't know if it happened two years in a row. And even if they did, there'd be kind of like a to my bros raised or whatever by, by other fans. But, yep. uh, yeah. Um, you know, I one thing I, I just, I don't know, I just love this tidbit is that uh, is, I guess it, it goes to show how much effect Patrick Kane has had on uh, young USA hockey players is um, that Quinn Hughes uh, very, like openly at, said that he asked Patrick Kane to uh, try to get the Hawks to pick him in that draft i'm pretty sure it's like on tape like on the blackhawks tv when it was the uh on the clock 
series they had that year. And I believe Jack Hughes the year after mentioned something about him talking to Patrick Kane and wanting to play for the Hawks. So, uh, I don't know, I guess I'm just being a homer, but uh, Chicago's uh, fucking great. I just wanted to mention that again. So, uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah. I was, at, I was actually at the NHL – I was at the NHL All-Star game and Quinn Hughes, um, I was I was kind of eavesdropping in on his podium and he said the one guy that he, he watched growing up was Patrick Kane. And I know those two guys have a lot of respect for each other because they did play at the world uh, at the Worlds together uh, for a year. Where, yeah. So they're Jack Hughes. Yep, all three of them played together. And so that would have been cool. And and obviously it would have been interesting too if, if Jack Hughes was sitting or if um, Quinn Hughes was sitting there at number eight for the Blackhawks, like, do they take him or do they take Adam Boquist? Like, I, I wonder how much value they had in both of those guys, but uh, we'll never yeah, know. No, I'm pretty sure after that Quinn Hughes, if I remember right, he looked at his uh, Canucks logo and just started to slowly weep, but no one talks about that. But uh, next, um, <laughs> I, well, before this question, I have one of my own and uh, cause it involves Andre Altibarmaki and I did say that right. And I'm proud of myself for that. Uh, Yes, thank you. Uh, I think it's – I actually think it's Alti Barmakayan. Oh, screw me, man. God Alti Barmakayan. Okay. I remember oh – I remember – I only remember this because I remember Mark Kelly saying it at the no draft. Way. And it just stuck in my craw because I'm like, I am never – I'm never going to remember this. So the fact that he set the tone of pronouncing it correctly, Alti Barmakayan. Jesus, man. Alti Barmakayan. Alti Barmakayan. I've been saying Alti Barmakayan. Alti Barmakayan. Jesus, man. Of course, the guy with the last name Meliodas would know that, you know? Jeez, man. You guys are (laughs) insane, man. Uh, (laughs) This one comes from uh, at Rejected Raptor. And no offense, uh, that's actually, if I could have the last name with like over 10 digits, I think I'd absolutely do that. Uh, But this one comes from at Rejected Raptor. uh, Good friend, Edward of ours and he asks with Andre Alti Barmakayan signing the reports that Max Shalinov coming over to the NHL uh oh the reports that Max Shalinov coming to the NHL what are the odds of any other Russians joining the team via free agency or draft I'm looking at you uh Askarov and I guess myself to ask to sorry to add to that um, do you think that Max Shalinov, do you think there's a possibility that he does come over to the uh, Hawks this next season? <laughs> I think that's a Scott Powers question. Really? Honestly. Okay. We got to get point, him on. Yeah. yeah, he loves, he loves doing those oh, yeah. polls about Max Okay. Yeah. But he, he is, um, as, as far as the, any, any Russians joining the team, and I'm, I'm kind of going to assume coming from the KHL, yeah. like an Artemi Panarin and, um, I, I will say this, it, that market is going to be very competitive this offseason really? specifically because of the financial impact that this pandemic um, is going to have on all 31 teams. Because those are the, now, when you look at undrafted free agents, those guys are signing entry-level contracts to come over. And so the cap hit isn't as high, obviously, when, when you're signing an entry-level contract. And I know you can kind of build in you know, possibly performance bonuses in that, like kind of like Panarin did with the Blackhawks, but that's going to be a very competitive market. And a, a month ago, maybe it wasn't going to be, but now teams are going to be looking for any in type impact type player they can get um, to kind of fit under that financial structure. So I would certainly be looking at that market. Closely. Gotcha. I have to. Yeah. That's the thing. I kind oh, of no, I just wanted to. <laughs> yeah, you go, you My go. Bad. Um, I, 
We've been interrupting each other. You so know, man, much, for so a guy bad. living in Chicago and a guy living <laughs> near Edmonton, I think it's amazing that we haven't done it more. <laughs> but uh, I, I guess I, I got so lost in that insane name. Uh, my, my question I forgot to ask earlier was, um, and obviously you mentioned that Scott Powers knows more about these Russian players than maybe you do, um, as he seems to, you know, be more a part of that. Um, do you? What do you think the Hawks really have in this kid? Um, obviously, I mean, I shouldn't say obviously, but, uh, uh, with, you know, like a guy like Scott Powers, you know, he gets insight that really nobody else does seeing as the general NHL fan doesn't really have that access to the KHL. And even then it's a bit hard to project, uh, a player's success coming out of the KHL. So do you, I mean, have you heard anything from Scott? Have you heard anything from the organization at all or anybody? And, or what do you think he would be necessarily if you'd heard anything? Well, I feel like he would be a, a middle six, um, middle six, four that kind of, that has some offensive potential. Um, but the reason he doesn't get as much attention is because he was, he was drafted in 2011. So, I mean, it, we're approaching Yikes. 10 years ago. And so you kind of forget that this oh, guy man. is, part of the equation and so it, it sounds like this is kind of going to be the, the make or break year if he does come over to the NHL or if he does resign um, overseas because I know his contract expires this year but I, I'm, I'm not sure one way or another where things stand on that but it would obviously if he did get brought over and, and played in the NHL it would be um, maybe a little bit of an added bonus where you're getting another guy that you didn't think would be part of the right. equation and now he's getting a look at training. And what do you think about, uh, in addition to that, Alti Barmakayan? I'm going to get used to that, man. But what do you think of, uh, have you heard anything about him uh, as well? Well, when they drafted him, he was very, like a lot of a lot of teams didn't have him high on their draft board. or was on off their, the radar. On, Yeah, or on their draft board at all, really. I remember that. And so... I think that the Blackhawks saw some really high end potential there and they're probably going to have to be more patient with him as he progresses because maybe they like his ceiling, but it's going to take him a while to get to that ceiling. And I don't think he had a particularly a really good year after his, um, the first year after getting drafted. So I don't know. I don't know exactly how his progression is, being viewed internally by the Blackhawks. Uh, but I, I do think that they they like that they now have him part of the equation and they can have a more hands-on role with him and get him more acclimated to the North American style of game and just getting used to how life is um, at the pro level. So uh, certainly going to be one of the guys that I keep an eye on in Rockford or wherever he starts. Yeah. He's probably going to start the year in Rockford and, and see how his development goes. I guess if I'm going to damn roll here, say the main point uh, I... I guess, Oh, sorry, Pierce. I have to interrupt one more time because I'm going to damn roll here with these Russian players. Yeah. One guy All I've good. wondered about All is, good. uh, Artur Kayamov. I don't know if I said that right. I won't try to, um, that's a guy that's kind of, uh, uh, I guess not been talked as much, um, besides from punching a ref in the face. Uh, I guess I just wonder, um, Oh Dude, God, absolute, just absolute Chad move. But I, uh, yeah, I guess I wonder. I, uh, yeah, like, is there really any talk about him? I know he was a second round pick. Uh, I forget if he was off the board or not. But I uh, really, um, is there any talk about what he would be exactly? Yeah, I don't. I don't think he he's 
had particularly strong yeah. years at, at the KHL level. So he's not, he's not really on the radar as a guy that could make um, an immediate impact or some sort of impact. And I don't know where, where things stand with, with his camp and the Blackhawks, but you mean, you look at his numbers and they're, they don't really blow you away. Yeah. So it's not like they are, they feel like they're missing something right now. And maybe they are obviously continuing to monitor his, his progression, but um, I haven't, really heard things one way or another on, on how that situation is going. I just had to say the main thing I've taken away from this is that 2011. Yeah. Was 10 years ago. <laughs> like that's so crazy to me. I think that's pretty much it for the podcast. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Um, oh, his mic went out. Okay. That's what happened. Um, yeah. So I think that's pretty much it. Thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast, Charlie. I hope all is well with your uh, family and close ones. And uh, yeah, thank you guys for tuning in. And hopefully uh, if I'm, uh, if in the summer, if there's NHL in the summer, um, hopefully we can uh, have you on again and maybe preview if the Blackhawks uh, make it in the playoffs. If the, oh yeah. And that's another thing. What would you, do you think that the NHL would do a 24 uh a team thing just to get Chicago in there because obviously if they had a 24 playoff team or a team playoff then they would get Montreal in there and Chicago would uh obviously make them a lot of money so yeah I just I, before we end off I don't I don't really want to talk about the whole situation like the COVID situation because I think it's just been talked about to death and I it kind of stresses me out talking about it but like at least this scenario do you think that the NHL would consider a 24 uh playoff team uh, yeah playoff? Yeah, cer- certainly would be an interesting situation because obviously Montreal and Chicago are those the two large markets and they would draw a lot both in Canada and in the US and they would obviously be the NHL would be looking to recoup as many as much or, or minimize the damage of, of ratings or of, uh, of revenue that that they would be missing out on, especially if the playoffs do return and fans aren't in the stands, which is probably going to be a likely possibility. You know they they have to they have to make things interesting one way or another. So I wouldn't be surprised if we do see a twenty fourteen playoff and it gets Chicago and Montreal in there. But uh, it it sure feels like we're still far away from knowing what any sort of format would look like. There you go. My question that you answered. I was able to get Jimmy back in the call. Yeah, no, they yeah. The Russian media heard me. They tried to contain me, but they can't stop me. So I'm back. <laughs> All right. Awesome. So yeah, we're going to end off the podcast now that we have everyone here. Uh, Again, Charlie, thank you for coming on. It means a lot that you came on and I hope you stay safe and same with your family and close ones. You as well, Jimmy, thank you for joining us. And uh, yeah, everyone else listening, please stay safe and all that stuff. Wash your hands. And uh, yeah, thank you guys for tuning in. So for Pierce, Jimmy and Charlie, take it easy and we'll talk to you guys. Stay safe, everyone. Peace.